0: Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness and every two weeks I sit down for a 30 minute combo with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. This week I'm curious about who are the Romanovs and what happened to them. And to answer this question we've got Brad Damare. He's amazing. He's a Russian historian. And to go a little bit further with that I'm going to throw that over to Brad and let him talk about his specialty a little more.
1: Right. My PhD is in uh, sort of Russian culture, early 20th century, mostly literature, music, and LGBT issues. But because this is kind of my era historically, this is kind of in my my general wheelhouse. Although I'm not a historian of the family, hopefully I can at least fill in some of the, the details, the context.
0: I mean, you have me at PhD. I mean, I'm <laughs> like, you guys, you should have just seen how much my I perked up. Just no, kidding. we're a dime <laughs> a dozen nowadays. Don't worry. No, you're not. No, you're not. I couldn't do it if I, like, if I had a gun in my head. So. Brad totally just, like, gave me a really sobering fact right as we put our gorgeous headphones on. Um, so I, my whole life thought that Anastasia was a Disney film, but it's not. I thought she was, like, Pocahontas. I thought she was, like, Mulan. She's not. It's it's a whole other thing, but that's where the inspiration from this episode comes.
1: It's totally fine. It's a great movie. It's Don Bluth, who I love dearly as an animator, so uh, still still in a the And right Meg
0: Ryan gave you life. <laughs> and it wasn't that Angela Lansbury, right. who is the grandma? That's why I always thought it was in my head.
1: Yeah, I may be a little old. I'm thinking of Ingrid Bergman when I think of Anastasia. Oh so. uh,
0: well, oh, is that like the real movie? Yeah, right. When she like had like the fierce hat. Exactly. I saw that with my aunt. Okay, so this is what happened, you guys. My aunt Lisa <laughs> took me to go see. Anastasia with my cousin Sullivan, who's on a previous episode. We went to go see Anastasia. I freaked out. I was obsessed. I was like, what happened to Anastasia? What did she have brothers and sisters? Like what year was this? When did it really happen? Like right, and right. after like a half an hour of like interrogation, my aunt was like, I'm gonna take you to the library and that will give you everything you need to know about it and stop asking me questions because mm-hmm. I don't know anything. So I became obsessed. I watched every documentary. Like I was so worried about like Tatiana and Olga and Maria and I was just like, what happened to these girls, you know? And, right. and and Alexei with his blood situation was just crazy. So that's where my obsession with Anastasia began. This is actually the birth child of what of getting curious because the Romanov family is what I was like. It's what I wanted to talk about first, but it took mm-hmm. me a really long time to find like a Russian historian. <laughs> Honey, it is uh. it, you guys. It, it is hard to come by. Yeah. As someone who's like fierce in their Russian history. You just the... need to
1: know the right people.
0: Oh, I know. <laughs> and thank you, Kyle, for that. Kyle June Williams, in for the kill, for this guest. Thank you. Let's give her a round of applause. She's not yeah. here right now, but she really helped me. So thanks for bringing us together, Kyle. So the Romanovs were this royal family in Russia, mm-hmm. pre-USSR. Mm-hmm. They reigned for like 300 years. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk how
1: they came into power. Just over 300 years, in fact. They had just celebrated their, their tricentennial. <sighs> Traj- <laughs> like but well anyway we'll get there Right. so like
0: they they came into power because like there was some really mean guy Ivan uh, well yeah I can I, do you want
1: me to tell this yeah, story? yeah 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 it's a little bit of a tangent but it, it sets up a nice historical parallel down the I road I like that right?
0: do it like you had to say it in like three <laughs> the, paragraphs or less the
1: elevator version yes elevator version right exactly. so Ivan the terrible was the last great ruler of the the Rurik dynasty or the Rurikid dynasty um, and he killed his own main heir Ivan, Ivanovic, or Ivan Ivanovich, um, leaving a kind of uh, less interested son to take over the throne. He had a number um, of, oh. of children. However, the, the presumptive heir who was older was not was not really up to the task, and it ended up more or less the country being ruled by his former chief of his political militia, his, mm-hmm. his personal militia. But he did have a younger son named Dmitri, who was sent off to live with family uh, outside of town, and Dmitri was stabbed to death. And so the question of whether it was murder or accident, believe it or not, I think one of the main theories is that he had an epileptic fit while holding a knife and stabbed himself. Yeah, right. I don't um, believe that for a you second. Can't, you can't see his expression here, but we just got sort of a jaw dropped. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I believe <laughs> At that. At any rate, um, the head of this uh, this personal militia, Boris Goodenough, ends up ruling the country. But about a generation into his rule, we see people start popping up saying, Dimitri was never killed. I am the real Dmitry. I was hidden all these years and I have come back to take my throne. And that's a, it's a sort of dramatic enough story for one person to do that. But we have not one, not two, but three false Dmitrys, mm. all of whom attempt to take over the Russian throne. One succeeds for a year. So we actually have the – he's usually known in Russian as the false Dmitry, mm-hmm. who rules the country for a year. And this kind of sets off a a period of chaos that in Russian they call Vremya, which we usually translate as time of troubles. And eventually the heads of all these aristocratic families, these boyars, get together and say, we can't sustain a country like this. Let's... Pick a ruler. And so they,
0: they, that was like their version of like a Congress,
1: it's effectively. And it was right. like 1432, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, well, 1532. It's the beginning of the
0: 16th century. And you guys, I always forget that. So the century is like the one above, yeah. So yeah. 16th century was like because I remember it was a
1: 32. I'm lost too now. You've got me. Good Whatever, it's, it's okay. Fierce, we know where but we. There's
0: are. a Congress. So all the most powerful families, so like correct. the Bushes of Russia, correct? The Clintons of of Russia. All the people come in, and they like decide to like they're like we got to get together and elect a new person because those roricks were like out and whatever correct and so everyone picks
1: Mikhail Romanov who is the first one who ends up leading this dynasty right exactly so
0: who ps had four daughters and a son mm-hmm. which was the exact makeup of the kids and the last romanov so that's two eerie similarities because right, you had like right, right. all these fake dmitries which if anyone saw Anastasia <laughs> there was like right exactly and that when you were right. saying about that when you think Anastasia you think about that one girl mm-hmm. Because that was a movie about, like, this lady who really came in and said, like, I'm the real Anastasia for real for real in, like, 1920, right? Right, exactly. Like, it's like, two years later, and she was like, no, I was never killed. Like, I have this fierce finger wave, and I've actually been here this whole time, and I'm Anastasia. Which, actually, we know that she was full of it now because that could, DNA-wise, did not match up, honey. Right. But good look on her for trying. She looked good doing it in that movie. She fooled a lot of people for a very long time. She
1: did. Probably herself. I'm not sure that she knew the difference, to be honest.
0: Oh, that's like a whole other podcast Mm. of, like... Like right. on her, because, like, she, that's like parts, but anyway. <laughs> so, so Mikel gets elected, mm-hmm. and then like he goes, five other people go, and so then we've got Nicholas II was mm-hmm. Anastasia's dad, correct? But his dad
1: was Alexander III. And what was his story? Okay, so Alexander III was considered a very repressive, very autocratic ruler, uh, partly because his father had been assassinated. His father was Alexander II, the great reformer of Russia, who set free the serfs, among yes. other things.
0: And there was nine attempts on his life, or something. Yeah, many attempts, and
1: even the one, even the attempt that succeeded was was a bit sort of Keystone Cops. There were bombs being thrown that were missing, and yeah. Alexander kind of got out of his carriage to see what was going on. It just, it, yeah, it was a very messy assassination. But he
0: still got home to say, like. Like, one last word to that cute German lady who he fell in love with, right? Nicholas saw his body. Nicholas
1: II was there. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was already born at that point. But at any rate, so yes, so because of that assassination and because he didn't really share his father's more uh, progressive outlook, Alexander III's rule is usually looked at as a very kind of... Uh, as we said, repressive regime he clamped down on a lot of communities, particularly Jewish communities. Oh. There was an association of radical politics with the Jewish population. Oh. And so part of what Alexander III does is pass a series of restrictive laws aimed at that population. So
0: that's why in Downton Abbey, by the time like season five rolls around, like Rose fell in love with that fierce boy who is so cute. I forget his name in the in Downton, but he was really cute. And his family was Jewish. I'll say Yes. Yeah, no, they, no, they were But that's why that was like, okay. that's like what precipitated right. it. I'm I'm just, fit, you know, putting two and two together here. So sure. that's interesting. So he was like he put the clamp down. He had big T trauma from like his dad being assassinated. Correct. And he was real liberal. Like the dad. His father, was, yeah, his right. father was at
1: least in the first half of his career as he got older and, and saw the sort of backlash against his reforms. He grew more conservative. Right. With time. And so then. He comes in, or Alexander the mm-hmm. Third comes in,
0: and then when he died, people were like devastated because his whole yeah. Well, it
1: depends. I mean, obviously the Jewish people were not. Oh yeah, devastated. not him. But all the people. Oh, that you mean like, Alexander the Second
0: or Nicholas II, the Second. Too last many. One. Too
1: many Alexanders. There are so many Alexanders. <laughs> Who is Nicholas's dad? The Nicholas the Second's dad is Alexander the Third. Okay. Okay. Yes,
0: yeah, so let's talk about that. So, like when Nicholas the dad, Alexander the came into power, there was a big debt. Like from freeing all the serfs, there was like a whole situation. So like he actually like got them or got Russia really out of debt and got them into prosperity,
1: right? Part of what he was doing was kind of, you know, the the freeing the serfs really changed the economic face of the country. Right. Uh, for, for better and for worse. Right. And so part of what Alexander Third is doing is trying to reconsolidate power. Um, to build certain diplomatic relationships that he think are more productive. And, and so in some respects, right, uh, to get it on a more stable economic footing.
0: Correct. Well, it, Wasn't it coal that, like, got them really, like, on and popping economically? She was like an industrial yeah. revolution or something. Right.
1: It's on its way, certainly. And, I mean, this is the era of trains in yes. particular, which Nicholas will extend into China uh, right. during his own rule. Um, So certainly things are things are changing in the country. Things are, you know, Russia is primarily and and will remain primarily through the beginning of the 20th century an agrarian country. What's that mean? Uh, Farming. Mostly. Oh, right. And so a lot of these are aimed at sort of bringing in this new technologies and expanding them to to, to sort of build up Russia's power and build up its economic base. And didn't. But wasn't that
0: like Nicholas II's dad's doing like he like he really expanded the trains Mm -hmm. and like he like got like the money coming in. Mm -hmm. And because I'm pretty sure it was like oil or coal or something, I was watching this like documentary about that yeah. part. Cause, but I never was like that fascinated with him as much as I was like Nicholas. Because you know it's very much unsolved mysteries. But well, um... I mean, I'm,
1: I'm a humanities major, so you know. <laughs> oh my god, I know. I'm like, I'm like, it's okay.
0: I, I like have like a murder porn history problem. Like so I'm like, it's it's, right. I need to not. You know, it's like it's like weird. Whatever. So. um... But so he really got them out of debt. And then when he died, there was, like, this big-ass, like, Russian, like, train procession with his, mm-hmm. like, baby body. And then Nicholas II, mm-hmm. the last czar, comes into
1: power mm-hmm. in, like, what year? Oh geez, uh, would have been yeah about eight, 99? 1899? yeah sort of the end of the nineteenth century. I don't mm-hmm. remember the exact year. Like it's the my very weak like spot, the very like la- oh well because it's like right. right at the beginning yeah, of your right. like of yours.
0: Right I get it. exactly. Yeah. yeah, so he comes into power, mm-hmm. and then he marries
1: Alexandra. Very good,
0: right. And then tell me, right. so tell me about all that. Well, so, yeah, so tell me what he came into.
1: Well, he came into a really odd situation because, among other things, his father really didn't trust him to run the country. I think Alexander III expected to live a lot longer. Mm. And so he didn't really prepare Nicholas at all. Um, and Nicholas was, was somewhat coddled. Uh, he, he had refused a bunch of other attempts at marrying him off until he met Alexandra, who he liked quite a bit. She was uh, from uh, what is today Germany. And they were related. She, she was, by the way, a, a granddaughter of, of Queen Victoria. Oh, you know that, yeah. Right? So, I mean, all of these families are related, right? Yeah. Um, but he found her. He fell in love with her. They were married actually a few weeks after his father's death. When um, Nicholas was coronated, was he? So he wasn't married yet. Like he became king and then he got married. Um, I, what the official order of events? I'm not entirely sure. Um, I know that uh, what his father died in around like early November. They were married in late November. I'm not sure which came like the official. Coronation. But it was like in the same month, right? It was in the same era because they just area, had to get right, it
0: together, right? Because like he was going to be king, and like you can't really exactly. be single king, or you can. I mean, you can, right? But it, it, it looks later. better to like sure. But so, but that was a thing too, because like. Russia historically had been like, you know, friends. I'm doing an air quote thing, you guys, uh-huh. like allies, if I'm going to use the big girl word right. for it. But <laughs> they'd traditionally been allies with Germany. And part of what got them hopping and popping economically was they like kind of didn't facilitate that relationship as much as their relationship with France, which mm-hmm. was Alexander the Third's doing. Right. Because like, didn't he like he like kind of broke ties up with Germany and got more with France. Right.
1: Russia's always had a very strange relationship with France. Very kind of love hate thing. Right. Um, and this is also, uh, you know, this is the lead up to World War One. Right. So in addition to everything else, we also have all of these, you know, secret treaties being signed behind the scenes. But yeah, Russia is cultivating a, a relationship with France. And in fact, uh, they initially tried to marry Nicholas to to a French woman. We need to take a quick baby break,
0: but we'll be right back in one minute to hear more about who are the Romanovs and what happened to them, honey. Girls, stop the presses! The 2016 Max Fun Drive is just around the corner. Join us for the best two weeks in podcasting and show your support for getting curious and maximum fun. We'll have a very special, very fierce guest, Margaret Cho, and amazing exclusive gifts for new and upgrading members. It all kicks off March 14th and runs for just two weeks, so don't miss out on the excitement. Mark your calendar and find more information at maximumfun.org.
1: Hey, hey.
0: Welcome back to Getting Curious with Jonathan Van Ness. We've got Brad Desare. He's here. We're talking about the Romanovs. Who are they? What happened? Um so basically we just got our coffee and we did some mm-hmm. fierce googling to get exact dates and um so Alexander III dies like in November of 94. Mm-hmm. He then his son uh Nicholas II gets married to Alexander the Alexander from Germany. Right, right, right. They get married. He starts officially reigning, but he doesn't actually go through his fierce coronation party until the morning period is over, which is in 1896. Right, more or less. So he starts in 1896. And so and that is kind of starts off as a shite show because Correct. at their wedding basically
1: do you tell the story well the, the 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 issue was that the procession that was there it was it was somewhat chaotic and wow. and and there were large crowds and people were trampled and and yeah the people died during this uh procession so Um, What ended up happening was that uh, because they were trying to build these diplomatic relationships, when uh, one of the French uh, diplomats visiting had effectively offered him uh, – had had effectively offered to receive him, he couldn't refuse, but it looked very callous having so many people had just died at at the same procession. And so uh, it starts off this kind of uh, theme that you see running through Nicholas's reign about a, a sort of rift that has developed between the emperor and his people. Because right. really, a very strong sense of even when Russian people are angry at the government, they tend to kind of keep the emperor separate. Like he he loves us; he's our real father figure, and that doesn't work with Nicholas in the same way, and that ends up having really bad repercussions down the road for him.
0: Because really, like, <clears throat> what's so, okay? So like, so you know, his dad, who like everyone was kind of like revered a little bit, unless you were Jewish, but like all the other people revered him because uh-huh, he got uh-huh. like all this money and kind of got Russia back up in like good standing, like in the world view as far as like their strength. So, but then he breaks ties kind of with Germany, gets up with France, and then his son marries this German lady. Mm -hmm. So immediately everyone's like a little bit like, "Er," like she's German. And then at their wedding party, they're like, everyone come down here and get gift bags. Way (laughs) more people come than they think that they're going to get. All these people stampede. People die over these gift
1: mm-hmm. bags to come see the new Tsar and his, what did they call like a Tsar wife? Well, at this point, they were emperor and empress. That was kind Ooh. of the, the bigger title ever since Peter the Great. But it, their the list of titles they had was about a page long. Yeah, because they had
0: the, it was like Alexander, right.
1: Alexandrovich. Emperor of Russia, autocrat of all Russia, Tsar of this place, et cetera, Ooh. et cetera, et cetera. So, so many titles. Tsaritsa right. is what we would say. Oh, yeah. Oh, I emperor, love that. Right? That Tsaritsa. Yeah.
0: So, so there's this big stampede. Mm-hmm. And all these people die, and so from the and then like two days later, Nicholas turns up at this like French guy's party, which mm. he had to honor because he'd already like RSVP'd, so he couldn't right. not do it. But that looked really bad in the press, mm-hmm. in the you know like nineteen hundred press. press. Well, well, in the nineteen hundred press, honey, <laughs> um,
1: what and- was allowed to be published? Because actually, censorship was really bad, uh, especially coming from his father. But people still yeah. found out about it because like, people did. really right. like right. were not having that exactly. Things things do get around.
0: So then that so then that you know gets off to a bad foot. Then they start having babies. They have babies, mm-hmm. and it turns out Anastasia is not the only one. Honey in the party, we've mm-hmm. got four daughters. That's right. Which that was kind of there was like Maria, Tatiana, Olga. I'm not saying in order here. And then Anastasia, but I do know Anastasia was the youngest of them.
1: Correct. It like Correct. Olga, it's like Olga, Maria. It's Olga, Tatiana, Maria, right. Anastasia. Right? And they were all
0: like super fierce, great heads of hair on these girls, so sad. Like, can't even, like, their pictures were really pretty. I, or at least I think so. And But I love a vintage picture. And then they finally <laughs> have a son, the youngest yeah. one, Alexei, mm-hmm. but he's got hemophilia. Correct. So that's an issue. Correct. So then, like, and and it's not looking good, like, throughout
1: Nicholas's reign because, like, there's, like, that Russo. Right. I would say that the real turning point, uh, you know, historians will differ on this, but I, I agree with those who say that the real turning point for Nicholas II is 1905, 1906, because this is when Russia loses the Russo-Japanese War. And it may not sound like a big deal, but consider that Russia hasn't won a big war in a while and no European country has ever lost a major war to an Asian country. Mm. And so Russia kind of went into it thinking it would be easy and instead, was its, its its navy was obliterated. Yeah. Um, they spent t- a lot of money too, right? Exactly. The country started going through a depression. People were going on strike. Military, iron workers, people were going on strike about this. And all of this culminates in a peaceful procession led by a man by the name of Georgi uh, Gapon, who's a priest. And he's going to lead this kind of peaceful protest uh, to the Winter Palace. And when the po- protest gets there, the military, not really knowing what to do, start firing on them. And that's the moment that a lot of people believe fully severs this relationship between Nicholas and his his people because they don't understand. He didn't give the order, mind you. He wasn't there. But the sense how could, how could our father, the emperor, allow this to happen to his people um, sours, I think, that relationship greatly. And it launches into a full-on revolution. Russia has a revolution in 1905. Nicholas agrees to a few concessions, but he doesn't take it seriously. He thinks that if he allows them, you know, relaxed censorship for a year, maybe a little bit of representative government for about a year or so, and then he immediately rolls them back, he thinks that it'll just pass. And it, of course it doesn't pass. It and grows is, and exactly. it grows. And then World War 1 starts. Correct. And because and that starts a lot because Germany's
0: like fearing in circulation mm-hmm. because like Russia and France are like besties behind the scenes right. all of a sudden. Germany's not having that. There's this big war. And then who starts to come to power in Russia? Like what? So I guess the question here is what precipitates the Romanovs? Like what really goes down? Like in that scene in Anastasia Uh. when everyone's running around and they're storming the palace and stuff. What was the real Oh, what precipitates
1: the revolution in Russia?
0: Yeah, like but like the Romanovs like really going down, like the night when oh, they I get see. kidnapped. Like who kidnapped them? I see, I what see. What was the tea? Well,
1: part of what happened at that point was that Nicholas was away. Uh he had taken some very bad advice and named himself commander-in-chief of the military, which he had no experience doing. Um and how old is he, I wonder? Uh, at this point he was in his late 40s. Mm. Um, so never ran a military, and then at forty seven he's
0: like, "Oh, oh like I'll, I've never like done it really super good, right. but
1: I'll do it now." Well, the family was surrounded by all of these advisors, many of whom were mystics mm. um, and charlatans, In a number of cases they took bad advice from people they later realized were frauds. Right. So, but this is this isn't just them, by the way. The whole era in Russia yeah. is obsessed with frauds, with and obsessed with mystics and 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 magic, and right.
0: So, because like he, because so he takes this advice and names himself commander in chief. Meanwhile, Alexandra, the German lady, is mm-hmm. running. Russia. while he's gone, like she's kind of like first lady to herself, but she's like She's making decisions like on the home front, right? Being advised by Rasputin, who's another one of these
1: crazy mystics, right? And there's all this tension. We don't have to go deep into the politics here, but there's all this tension because there is a kind of elected body that has no power. That's the Duma, mm-hmm. and then there's also a kind of executive government that the, the 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 emperor has appointed to help run things, and then she is helping to make some of these appointments, and Rasputin is advising her on some of these appointments as well. So the chain of command here is really fuzzy, right? And Very little of it involves people that anyone has much confidence in. Right. And one of them is, like, a
0: German, like, of German descent, who is, like, literally their enemy. So, like, that has got the Russian people, like, really not having
1: Alexandra. Meanwhile, Nicholas is outrunning the war. Who, who, by the way, takes extra flack because the hemophilia gene comes through her.
0: Oh. So people were
1: irritated that Alexei
0: was kind of, like, a fuzzy emperor because he has this, like, you know, potentially, like... Pretty easy to die disease, like a bruise could kill Correct. him. And
1: during the war, there are all these rumors that Alexander is really a Rus- uh, German spy. Oh, um, right. right. And this gets sort of passed around, even even sort of hinted at on the floor of, of the legislative body.
0: Oh, so right. people are, like, so tensions are high there. Exactly. Then Nicholas is, like, outrunning the war somewhere. Mm-hmm like Correct. where in Siberia or something Oh no 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 if they they he was, oh, on he was the the eastern, other way. right the western, front, oh, he was for on the western front for him the western front and right. the eastern front right Yeah yeah so like by like maybe Poland or something right right So he's over there and then so then what happens to like um Alex like when do they take Alexandra and the four girls and Alexei Hostage.
1: Right. Well, so what happens is that there's a kind of it, there's this this precipitation of events that no one is really controlling. There are strikes. There are there's famine in the country at this point. Um, the military is decimated. There's almost no army left to speak of, which has left very few military in the city. And when protests have arisen, Nicholas actually gives them the order to shoot on protesters just to to try to maintain some kind of semblance of order, which, of course, makes things even more unpopular. So uh, when these protests begin, uh, I want to say a few months before. No, no, they begin actually in February of that year. Um, It's largely led by women. It's largely led by uh, proto-union workers. Um, and one by one, these, these, these pieces just start falling effectively. And so Nicholas actually gets advice. He's not even in the country. He gets advice that it'd be best if he abdicated the throne mm. at that point. So he abdicates it and then no one wants it. Mm. It ends up going to a cousin very briefly, but no one actually wants to run Russia at this point. Uh, For obvious reasons, the country is clearly sort of teetering on the edge of collapse. And so the royal family is taken in by the provisional government, the Kerensky government, who decide to move them out to a safer place, um, out in sort of the Siberian, Western Siberia. There
0: was a palace there, right? Right,
1: exactly. But then they buzz their heads.
0: Like they all got their heads buzzed. I saw that picture. That was like really like I I was really affected. But whatever. <laughs> yeah, they like they all like got their heads buzzed. They I don't know, maybe they had lice, I don't no, know. No, yeah, there was a, something like that. Like they all like had know, a thing, right? and they had to like buzz their heads. Mm-hmm. And there's all these pictures of them in these like really like dreary outfits with all buzzed heads. <laughs> So then they're out in this place, and it was one of their palaces. Correct. But then they get taken out of there.
1: Well, because the Kerensky government only lasts for a short time. That provisional mm. government is only there for a few months. Mm. Um, they make a fairly disastrous decision to continue World War I. And in hindsight, it seems so stupid because it was the most unpopular of Nicholas's policies. But what they were thinking was that they needed to maintain these diplomatic and economic ties with all of the countries they were allies with, which was France, and... exactly France and England. You know they needed this kind of support, so they continued fighting World War One, and that made them an easy target for an internal coup. And the Bolsheviks come in in October, November, and basically just take over the country. So they they sweep into like St. Petersburg, mm-hmm, correct?
0: And so they, and then they call the Kerenskys and they're like, "Hey, we need you to take the Romanovs out of that palace and take them over to like that E town,
1: right? Yekaterinburg, yeah, right, exactly, right." So they they move them there uh, to be safer. Um, and then keep them basically under house arrest. In a little house.
0: And they've only got, like, two servants
1: and, like, a cook. Right. They've got, yeah, exactly. they have got a yeah. bunch of people. I mean, oh, only two servants. Wow. Well, it's,
0: life's hard, honey. Because... <laughs> they probably all have their own butler. They probably would, all have their own handmaid. Would that we all
1: suffered so greatly. Yeah. Um, but what ends up happening, which ends up sealing their fates, is kind of a mistake. Um, there is a legion of pro-aristocrat Russian yes. Czech and Slovak soldiers who are heading towards Yekaterinburg. They yes. don't even know that the family but they're is they're there. there. Right. But the Bolsheviks panic because they think it 's a special unit designed to to save them, and if they can save them, they can rally them as a figurehead yeah right and, and it, this really gets into the kind of i mean we don't have to go into this, but you know if you want to talk about how how tangled the politics were of of World War one and and what 's going on here is that russia's having this revolution, and a bunch of Czech and Slovaks who may not have much love for Russia for real are actually fighting for. The Russian aristocracy, because the Russian aristocracy committed against the Austro-Hungarian Empire, who currently control what is today Czechoslovakia.
0: Right. So right. This Which is... was that Ferdinand
1: thing? And that's right, whole... exactly. It's all it's all tangled but, up.
0: But but then basically, so the Bolsheviks were fearing that this that these pro-aristocratic uh, forces Correct. were coming for them, and then but basically they say to Germany, like, look, we want to side with you and break the french thing we want to be your friends again like to germany and germany's like okay that's all well and good but if the romanovs are alive honey how do we know that they're not going to seize back power and like be friends with the french again so isn't that what made the bolsheviks call over to Ekaterinburg and be like hey make them post for a picture but we're actually going to knife them to death
1: i think i think it really i think what really precipitated that point was just this advancing army they thought that this yeah exactly they're they're afraid that that if the romanovs are rescued that it will strike a severe, severe blow against the Bolsheviks, for sure.
0: So they're all chilling at this little, like—well, mm-hmm. not chilling, but they're all yeah. in this, like, little hideaway. You know, they're there, and then basically, like, this night happens, and they're like, oh, hey, we need you to post for a picture. They take them down to this basement. Correct. Everyone gets killed. Mm-hmm. And then they take them out of Ekaterinburg and— Dub ethanol over there
1: and put well, them in a grave. The original plan was they we were going to throw them in a mine shaft somewhere oh. so that we'd never be found. But they actually, their cart broke down uh, and they couldn't actually haul the bodies there. And initially they got rid of a couple of bodies, which is why we think there are two burial spots. Oh. Um, they took, we think, Alexei and one of the younger daughters did the acid thing, did the burial thing. Um, got a little bit further and said, "We can't continue doing this. Dump the rest of the bodies." And again, and that not only the Romanovs, but also those three or four servants who were with them. Right. Right.
0: And so then, so then they all die. Bolsheviks take control. World War One ends. Fast forward. Fast forward. Fast forward. Okay. Fast forward. And then it's like it's 2015, and this story, you guys, is still still not. ongoing. It's still ongoing. So now right. what's happening?
1: Well, uh, if we can, if we can rewind a little bit, right? I, I just, uh, just because yes. this, I think, sets up part of the stage. Uh, because no one really knew where the bodies were, or even knew a hundred percent sure that there were bodies, apart from memoirs. Yeah, it 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 opened up the the possibility of all these pretenders to the throne, and this yes. is where the sort of Anastasia story uh, comes in, right? Um, and it wasn't really until the nineteen seventies that anyone actually actively went out, or actually successfully went out searching for where this burial site was, and it wasn't exhumed, I don't think, until nineteen ninety one. Oh. Right. So up until that time, no one really knew what bodies were even there. Right. And then there was DNA testing, but there were also... We knew from the very beginning that not all of the bodies were there. They found the second burial site first. Oh. And we knew that there was a child missing and that one of the younger daughters was certainly missing. Right. Right. Especially once DNA testing showed us that the rest were Romanovs. Um, But then the second one was found sometime later, and then those were retested as well. Um, But already there was a lot of pressure on the post-Soviet government... To to uh, canonize the Romanov family as martyrs, so to right, speak. so that'd right. have been like Boris Yeltsin or something, right? And Yeltsin Yeltsin was under a lot of pressure at the end of this at the end of his term because the country was collapsing, and so one of the things that he helped to kind of push through was to get the Romanov family, the existing at that point Romanov family, which was everyone but Alexei and one of the daughters, um, into the Peter Paul Cathedral, specifically buried there. Um, they were, I think, they were declared. Um, not not quite saints, but not quite uh, martyrs. Martyrs usually means you die for Christianity. Right. Russia has a thing uh, like it's actually. You want to talk this historical parallel again? The very first Russian saints were called the we, I say passion bearers, the mm. people who suffered, mm-hmm. and that's now what the Romanovs are as well. So almost like the first got in, it. The uh, last of the Imperial Russians have the same designation. It's kind of interesting.
0: Oh, I love there's like so many of those there. Right. But so they got all basically all of them buried except for Alexei and Maria. Correct. And then they think that they ended up finding Alexei and Maria. Correct. And now they're not buried there. But some people want them buried there. But the Russian Orthodox Church wants to make absolutely sure that like... All of them are who we think they are. Right. The
1: Orthodox Church's official line is they don't want to tell people that certain bodies are these people because since they are saints, since they've been canonized, they become holy relics. And they'll have pilgrims. They'll have people come praying to them. And they don't want to, quote, mislead people. Right. right? Have them
0: praying to a false exactly.
1: relic. But no one really believes that that's – the. You know, I don't want to get in trouble with my Orthodox listeners here. But no one really believes that. Um, I mentioned to you before the show that the the, the sort of official liaison of the Orthodox Orthodox Church on this issue was let go after he admitted that he was fairly certain that all the tests were positive. Um, if for whatever Meaning reason that everyone
0: is who we think they are. That so everyone far, is who we think they are, right? And, and, including Maria and Alexei.
1: Correct. Correct. Um, and there, are, there have been accusations over years of tainting the materials, which of course is possible. Um, there, there have been, there's been some anger over the way that the Orthodox Church has been played for political purposes. Um, keep in mind that part of the reason that this all happened, like we said, might have been to burnish, you know, Yeltsin's image. Um, and even Nicholas uh, II himself had had effectively used his political power to force the Orthodox Church to do things they didn't want to do. Right. So when he was still, like when back in. Right. There was a promise given them one of, by one of their mystic advisors that if he named uh, this this guy Seraphim of uh, Seraphim Sarovsky, if they named him a saint, then he would have a male son, actually. And that was the bargain that they made. He effectively forced the church to do that so it soured um, that little that alliance a little yeah i think the i think the orthodox church is is, is not willing to be that political football so to speak. Um, but at the same time, their their reluctance on this has kind of gone past any reasonable skepticism. So people aren't quite sure what it is they're waiting for. And it might have to do with which sort of subset of their adherents they're they're less willing to anger. So basically, at this point, they
0: just want to like kind of stall and figure out right. exactly where their ducks are and figure out like, but it's it's so interesting. So word on the street is, is that we basically think that this is who they are. I
1: I, I would say that that we are as, as sure as we can be about something like this, so there's we don't, no doubt, right? We,
0: yeah, we don't think that there's like actually like four, you know, like or like a whole bunch of descendants of the actual Romanovs running around because they all escaped or something, right? Like At they least direct in from Jersey, they, right? Yeah, <laughs> but then but then you did see like some of like their extended family in in mm-hmm. Downton Abbey, actually, right? There is some uh Russian aristocrats who pop up here and there, so right. there were some like extended members of the family who sure were exiled and escaped before, sure. But yeah, so it's like in this this movie that isn't Disney, as I find out. Essentially, <laughs> it's you know the, it wasn't this. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were. It's not. It's really not an animated movie type deal. These people were totally killed. That's right. Super tort or like sad, but, you know, what their dad, it was
1: just a whole story that we just don't know that much about, like, here, which is why I wanted to talk about it. And what doesn't help, too, I think, is that most of what we get are firsthand accounts, memoirs, and memoirs tend to be unreliable. And so trying to figure out exactly what happened, you know, there, there are different versions of how they were killed and exactly when they were killed, and you have to kind of judge based on, well, how much do I trust this writer at this moment? And it's led to this whole cottage industry. I mean, there are more Romanov books, I think, than almost anything else in Russian history. People are fascinated by it. Understandable, and, and I am too.
0: Yeah, no, it's, no, it's like how you play book. telephone from like nineteen nineteen, <laughs> and right. it's like we just, you just don't really know. Right. Do you have any, or do you have anything that people need to like read about, or like, or like look you up on to to follow your like Russian? Oh no no and, no, I'm
1: I'm I'm fairly anonymous, thank
0: God. Oh, I love that. That's fierce.
1: I love that. <laughs> so a little side point, just if I make before we go. yeah. Uh, a lot of people also don't realize Nicholas II is the first Russian ruler to appear on film. And this actually also changes his relationship to the people because you could go and see your sort of short films and news serials and you could actually see what Nicholas looked like moving around in a way that previous generations of Russians never could. You know, so our entire understanding of how people related to the leadership in that era is very, very difficult for us to look back onto. But it's complicated, and it's a really this did is why. Did people not like era,
0: him on film? Was he like, did he uh, feel like an like a not nice guy on film or something? No, no,
1: not nothing like that. I think it's just the, the 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 magic of seeing it. You know, to to see film, someone who's never, you know, film is new. It's still a new thing, and now your emperor is there on screen, getting on his horse in front of you. You know.
0: Well, Brad. I, yeah. that is our 30 minutes but I am like so obsessed with oh, you no problem you, I'm, you're coming back right? there's okay. so many more <laughs> Russian things that we have to talk about and I'm yeah, so glad can... that you were able to come in today to, to shed light on this Romanov no, story thank for you. me thank you. I'm, like, thank you so much for coming in Anytime. and thank you guys so much for listening to Getting Curious uh, we'll see you later thanks you've been listening to Getting Curious with me Jonathan Van Ness and my guest this week Brad Damare if you want to follow me on Twitter I'm at the Gay of Thrones on Instagram I'm at Gay of Thrones Also, look for our Getting Curious group on Facebook. Become a member and tell us what you're curious about. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Girl, thank you so much for letting us use it. I love the way it sounds. If you enjoyed our show, please tell us about it. Comment on it. Tweet it. Share it. Facebook it. Let your friends know. Um, Thank you so much for tuning in. Leave us a gorgeous five-star review. Thank you so much to Phantom Door Studio and Ben Palm for starting those off for us. Getting Curious is produced by Christian Duenas and Colin Anderson for MaximumFun.org. Hey, hey. MaximumFun.org.
1: Comedy and culture. Artist owned.
0: Listener supported.